Hi, everyone. In the interview you're about to hear, you may notice a little bit lower sound quality than usual. And first, I apologize. We had some technical difficulties and bless CRISPR Card's heart because he was so patient as I tried to figure out the best way for you to still be able to hear his wisdom and his thoughts. And we did figure out a way. And so bear with us. And I hope that you won't let the sound quality deter you from listening to what is honestly, one of my favorite interviews we've done thus far. So hang in there and we hope that you enjoy the show. Photographer Chris Burkard would likely downplay everything I'm about to tell you, but honestly, you can't make this stuff up. Chris Burkard's Instagram account is followed by 3.5 million accounts worldwide. He has been featured in commercials for Honda, Microsoft, Adobe, and his 2019 ad for Lufthansa Airlines has been viewed more than 14 million times in six months. And to top it all off, Justin Bieber once wrote on his own Instagram account, nobody in the world as good at taking photos as CRISPR card. CRISPR Card is an accomplished explorer, photographer, creative director, speaker, and author. Traveling throughout the year to pursue the farthest expanses of Earth, Burkard works to capture stories that inspire humans to consider their relationship with nature while promoting the preservation of wild places everywhere. His holistic and visionary perspective has earned him opportunities to work on global prominent campaigns with Fortune 500 clients appear as a TED speaker, develop specialty product lines, teach national and international photography workshops, and publish a collection of books, including a children's book. At the age of 30, Burkard has established himself as a global presence and influencer, accomplishing a prolific portfolio, connecting people from around the world, and producing some of the most recognized creative work of our time. In life, he is happiest when he returns home to his wife, Brianne, and their two sons. This is All In, an LDS Living podcast where we ask the question, what does it really mean to be all in the gospel of Jesus Christ? I'm Morgan Jones, and I am so grateful to have Chris Burkard on the line with me today. Chris, welcome. I am so honored to be here, Morgan. Thank you so much for having me. And this is a uh... This is pretty exciting because I've, I've actually been a huge fan for, for quite a while. And this is probably one of my favorite podcasts to listen to when I'm traveling. And um, <laughs> dare, I, dare I say that there's even been times where I've kind of used the excuse that like if I'm traveling on, this, on a Sunday, I'm like, oh, well, you know, I'll listen to this in the, instead of reading scriptures, which isn't advice I would, I would recommend anybody <laughs> take. But I feel like there's just some really great topics discussed and I tend to really gain a lot from it. So thanks. Thank you. Well, we'll take that. I have been a big fan of yours for a long time, which you already know, but I, you know, what's so funny. You posted an Instagram post probably two years ago, maybe two and a half years ago about sunrises. And you talked about how we see a lot of sunsets in our lives, but not a lot of sunrises. And I cannot tell you how many days, like when I just want to stay in bed, that Instagram post pops into my mind and it's what gets me out of bed in the morning. So that is so, that is so funny because I, I vividly remember sharing, sharing that exact thing. And, and it was just, it was just kind of interesting because I, with my job, I'm obviously unexpected to, you know, get up early and, and hunt for that really beautiful, good light. And 
And I often think about the difference between a sunrise and a sunset and how for sunset, you know, everybody's up. It's a really joyous time of day. It's playful. You know, people are people are lively. But the sunrise is it's quiet. It's unassuming. You know, like the whole world is kind of quiet. You know, the animals, everything. It's a really different experience. And I, 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 you know, I would venture to say to me, I feel a greater sense of connection to the places I love and wild places when I when I approach them with sunrise, because it takes more dedication for sunrise. It takes a, a greater willingness to, like, give something of yourself to experience those. Right. So, Right. It requires more effort. And I think like anything worth experiencing, you have to put forth effort. And I think it's like the blessing of that sacrifice. I know we went to the beach this summer, the previous summer, I had woken up like every day for the sunrise. And this year I only made it up for one day and I felt like I had like cheated myself at the end of the week. So (laughs) I know. (laughs) Well, and, 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 you know, and, and I guess when you consider you know, for myself, I, I consider those sunrises and sunsets precious. Like they really are. It's, it's kind of what fuels a lot of my, my photographs or films or whatever. And so to, to squander those does feel, and it can feel to me like a bit, you know, like disrespectful of, of the beauty that we're given. And, you know, maybe that's being too hard on myself, but I, I really do feel that sometimes. I feel like I'm, I'm missing out on this gift yeah. that I've been given. Yeah. You know? And well, then I'm just like, oh man, for, for sleep, that's it. Just for sleep. You know, it's like right. kind of a joke. Yeah. No, I agree completely. I love that we're already like diving into this topic of light, which was not my intention when I brought up the sunrise thing, but it works out perfectly because one thing that I learned as I was researching for this interview is that as a photographer, you got your start in surf photography, which I did know that. But what I learned is that you won a contest called Follow the Light. And I love the name of that contest, first of all. I'm like, wow, that's super cool. But secondly, I think that the idea of chasing light and the importance of that in photography is fascinating. And I noticed on your website or on your Instagram account several times you've written about the idea of how fleeting light can be. So for example, you wrote once, sometimes two minutes of perfect light is all you get. And in another post, you wrote, I'm fascinated by light, mostly how it can take a shapeless subject and give it life. There is something so fulfilling about watching this transformation take place, whether through the camera or not. So I wanted to kind of kick this conversation off with by asking you, what has photography taught you about the importance of light? Absolutely. That's, that's a, it's a really beautiful analogy you made there. And, you know, I mean, you know, granted, this is the, this is a safe place to really talk about a lot of these spiritual undertones that I usually try to bring to my work, because I think that so much of obviously what I'm trying to do is glorify the beauty that, that God has given us and, and also the locations that we're able to see and, and light, you know, it plays such a huge role in, in the aspect of photography, because of the fact that, you know, this is kind of, like I said, it's, it's the, it's the fuel that burns the fire, you know, it's what, it's what creates dynamic imagery, et cetera, et cetera. But more importantly, there's a really beautiful kind of metaphor and, um, there as to, I think the things that we focus on in our lives, you know, are we, are we looking for 
are we seeking out and are we searching for things that are filling us with joy or, or light or whatever you want to call it? Or are we kind of doing the opposite? I think that for me, my, and, and I think, you know, I don't want to take that to too literal of a place because obviously great, amazing photographs can be shot in, you know, in really dark places and, or, and, or that's, that's also a huge part of why we need photography. But for me personally, I, I really do seek out those, those places and those experiences. And I, and I, I really, I try to be a student of light and I try to be a student of understanding what it does and how it fills our, our life. And I will say that emotionally, it's a really amazing thing when you start to study and understand what like the actual physical act of embracing light does to you. I mean, you look at, you know, a lot of the places I've been in the world where these are, you know, very remote villages where they have, you know, six months of darkness or three months of darkness. And then, you know, they barely see the sun, like, you know, things, things like alcoholism and or suicide are rampant. And, and so much of that is because of a lack of, of daylight and, and, and sunlight. And I just, um, I would venture to say that whether we really truly acknowledge or not, it, it plays such a crucial role on how we feel and our mood. And, and I think that when you can seek out the spiritual presence of that and the importance of that, it's, it's a really, it takes on a whole other meaning. Yeah. Having, so you said you, you consider yourself to be kind of a student of light, which I think is such a cool thing, but having kind of studied or observed light for as long as you have, what does it mean to you? And this is something that as I was reading your post and noticing how frequently you comment on light, I was like, I can't not ask this question, but what does it mean Uh, to you when the scriptures say that Jesus Christ is the light of the world? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's, and the beauty is that, you know, the light and the life of the world is, is kind of that, that phrase. Right. And I would say that light is not only an illuminating force, but it's also a life giving force. And, and I think that in my mind, you know, I would say that, you know, even just from, you know, getting blessings as a kid and, and having experiences like that, I would say that, that when I've felt that when I've been in very, very dark places, whether physically or spiritually or wherever, what have you, when I've felt that light, you know, and I'm, I'm literally talking like even just a, a ray of sunshine, like hit my cheek or, or something like that. Or, you know, you, you feel the subtle feeling of, of the warmth of the sun, like fall out your frozen fingers. I've felt his love immensely. And, um, I would say that for me, it's kind of a personal testament that I, I know that it's a confirmation of how much he loves me and how much joy he's blessed me to experience when I seek out those things. And I, and I would I would just say that, you know, for everybody, there there is something really glorious to behold when you seek out experiences in nature and you you go and you seek after those things and and whether you're you're attributing those to kind of our savior Jesus Christ and his his role or if you're attributing those to just simply the fact that like being outside makes you feel good i i think that what i hope to do is to glorify the savior and for me i would say that you know on a very, very physical sense, when I, when I consider the fact that he is the light life of the world, that 
if I can use that light that is him to create images that make people want to be closer to him, then I think that I'm, I'm doing, I'm doing what I was sent here to do. I love that so much. I think one of the things that you said on Instagram, and I'm, I'm going to keep re- referring to these things because I feel like <laughs> I know you through your Instagram account. And I, love that. <laughs> and I think, I think probably a lot of people feel that way. And, and it's interesting to me. And I, along with this next question that I'm going to ask, I would like to get your thoughts on why you feel like it's important. You could just throw these pictures up, I feel like, and people would just be like, wow, that's amazing, even without a caption. But instead, you often have these positive messages that you share on social media. And so it's not just this breathtaking vista, but there's also there are also these truths light you're sharing through your words. And I noticed that you said once, be a bearer of light. And I think that that's what you've been able to do. So I guess this question is two part. One, how did you decide, you know, to to have captions that were uplifting accompany your photos? And why do you think, especially in this day and age, that positivity and uplifting messages matter online? Well, that's a great question. I mean, I think, first of all, it's a two-part thing. You know, my, my work, I think an important thing to understand is, like, why I even started using social media. And I would say that for me, you know, gr- growing up as a photographer, shooting editorial assignments for magazines, what ended up happening, magazines and commercial clients, what ended up happening was I'd go on these trips to these really remote, remote places, have these life-changing experiences, and I would I would come back and I'd realize that, you know, only only so many of those photographs can actually live within the article. Like the articles were so limited and I, I left, I'd be at home, you know, waiting three months and all of a sudden I'd open up the magazine and I'd just be like, what, where's this experience and where's that experience? And where's all this other stuff that I, that I know happened that didn't end up here. So kind of what I'm getting at is that social media really for me was a, was a storytelling extension. It was a tool to hopefully share a deeper concept of what I was feeling and experiencing out in these places. And that's really what drew me to start using like way back in the day, like Blogspot and then, you know, Facebook and then Instagram. And and it, it's always really been about that. It's always really been about this concept of sharing with people a deeper sense of, of my life and my work. And it started by just coming home and sharing photos with my mom. And that community grew larger and larger and larger to my local, my friends. And then obviously nowadays I speak to millions of people, but that's what I've always loved. I've always loved this idea of storytelling. And I think an important consideration is that when you consider yourself a witness, you know, that word is a really powerful word, I I would venture to say. And I think that you've been witness to so much beauty. There is an absolute responsibility to share it. There's a responsibility to share it in the sense that you know, these are these are wild places that we need to be conscious of preserving and protecting. But also because, again, like I said before, knowing and feeling this kind of testament from you know the Savior that these that these are His gifts to us. Like these really are His gifts to us, and I want to be a witness to those. And I think that you know what I've obviously tried to do, and in everything that I do is just to to seek after uplifting things because that's what makes me happy. And and I think that in a world where the person who shouts the loudest gets heard, 
the often subtle things, the, the quiet things of the world, like nature, is kind of in some ways not really not really taking up or occupying a huge part of our mental space, right? And I, I wrote this quote in a book one time that said, um, in a world that's getting louder and louder, it's never been more important to seek out the last quiet places. And mm-hmm. what I would say is that, um, you know, those quiet places are absolutely meant to represent, you know, nature, but also places that I think the Holy Ghost can speak to us. And if we want to expect the world to kind of feel the spirit, we have to first try and get them to a place where they can listen and they can hear it. Right. So for me, there's this kind of step-by-step process. It's like, if I can get people into nature and, and I can get them to a place that is more quiet, they might be able to feel properties or the feelings of the fact that they are incredibly loved or cared about. And I think that's, that's really what, that's really what I seek out. I'm not sure if I answered your, your entire question there. Sorry. No, that was um, perfect. I, I, but but I hope that gets to the core of it. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that's such a beautiful thought. I Social media, ironically, it's so funny. Every episode, in this episode, obviously, I was like, listen, we've got Chris Burkard here. He has the biggest social media following of anyone I know. And so we're going to talk to him about social media. But in a lot of previous episodes, we've had no intention of bringing up the subject of social media. And it comes up, I think, just because it is such a huge part of our culture and our society right now, both for good and bad. And yeah. And so I'm curious for you as someone who has is it 3.5 million people following you on Instagram? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unreal. We have some other we have some other channels that we try to communicate on and whatnot. But yeah, it's it it's a pretty crazy thing to be honest. It's a pretty crazy thing to try and manage. And and what's really hard is like I I tell everybody all social media is is it's just a glorified texting tool. That's all it is. It's a communication tool. And if you enjoy communicating with people, you will find success on those channels. If you don't. And if you see it as like a forced behavior and something you just have to do, then the chances are you probably won't find much success there. Because if you don't enjoy people or you don't like communicating with people, then it's not really going to be an easy thing for you to just like learn how to do, you know? So yeah. I think that's what it's really been born out of is just my, my, my passion for communicating with people. And, and that extends beyond social media, it extends to film screenings and books and things like that. So. Yeah, I think that's fascinating. I just got a message last week on Instagram from someone and she was saying that she was trying to discern whether this desire to post on social media was a a desire to do good or whether it was attention seeking. And I think that's something that probably everyone questions at some point. They're like, you know, am I just doing this hoping to feel validated or do I genuinely want to do good? And so I actually selfishly, I was like, you know what? I don't know how well I answered that question. And so I wanted to get your take on it. That's a great, that's a great question. What I would say is that to be honest, there, there is no right, there is no wrong way to answer that. I mean, the reality is it's it's going to come down to the person and, and their feelings and emotions 100% and, and their intentions, right? But the one thing I would say in terms of like a, a way to keep yourself in check, I guess you could say, is that are you are you doing other things in your life that are allowing you to kind of feel that val- and val- validation, right? And validation is not a bad thing. Like, 
validation is a good thing. Like we, we want to kind of have proof that, you know, we're loved and we're cared about and we're, we are, we are wanted and, and decide like those are, those are very human emotions. Nothing is wrong with those things. I don't want to turn, you know, these kind of, you know, new age phrases into necessarily bad things. Cause I, cause I think they're actually really good and really healthy. But the, the scary thing is that when it causes our actions to all of a sudden become unnatural to seek that validation. And what I would say is that anything that hasn't caused you to like go out of your way to create or, uh, or do some unnecessary harm or to try and better yourself in front of somebody else or something along those lines, I would say that's going to be a healthy form of, that's a healthy checklist to, to review before you share something. I would also say, are you looking at other things in your life? Are you doing other things in your life that are allowing you to receive the validation you need? Are you receiving the validation from your parents? Are you receiving the validation from work? Are you receiving the validation from a handful of these other really important and valuable like places in our lives that are allowing us to feel that without having force us to go online to find it, you know, cause that's, this is what I feel like is happening is you have a lot of these parents that are, that are up in arms. Like, oh man, my kids love social media, blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. And such a problem, blah, this and that. But the truth of the matter is, is that it's really easy to say that. Is it, what's harder is to say, well, why are they seeking validation there? Where are they not getting it? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah. that's, that's the challenging part is like, no, it's not just your kids. It's not just the millennials. It's not just this era. It's not just, just, just anything. It's the fact that there is an issue. And the issue is that they are seeking attention from the easiest place to get it. And it is very rewarding. And it is very much, it, it is an addiction. Now, I would say that if that's happening and there is a healthier other place to receive that, then that's where they will go. You know, I yeah. think that there, there, there needs to be an awareness on the parents part and on just to create that, that healthy barrier so that like that girl mentioned, like, that's a healthy thing to think about. Like, you know, she's literally just asking like, Oh, am I, am I sharing this and seeking it, seeking out the wrong type of energy, I guess you could say, um, from this, that's, that's an introspective person. Like I would venture that anybody who's even questioning that is probably doing it for the right reasons. Right. I agree. Um, so, yeah. yeah. And, and I, you know, it's interesting because I think even as adults, we have a tendency to get caught up in this. And I think I look at it and I'm like, okay, what can we do? Because people are, are turning to social media to have connection. And I think that's great. So it's like now these communities have formed online. And one thing that, that I know we've talked about here is how can we take those communities and move them in person so that people are getting that face-to-face connection that they're craving so much. And one thing I loved in in looking up stuff about you this week was you did a commercial for Honda and you said on average people scroll over 300 feet on social media every day, right. which is unreal. Right. Um, it's but crazy, I, right? But I think that th- then in this commercial, you talk about what else could you do with those 300 feet? And there are so many things that we can do to whether it be explore the world around us, connect even with our neighbors, like that's 300 feet is not even, right. you know, from door well, to door. Exactly. And it was, it's a funny thing because this, this kind of brings up another side of my life or business, which is I, I, I do a lot of commercial photography, but I've also been able to 
kind of be a part of or be featured in a lot of different ad campaigns and whatnot. One of the things that's a real strict requirement of mine, I guess you could say, is that if I'm creating something with a brand, a co-branded piece, or putting my putting my name behind something, that I want it to really share a message that I think is uplifting. I want it to be a, a you know, what, like we talked about before, something that seeks out the positive things of this world. And I thought that that message was a positive message, if anything, just for people to be educated about. And and I and I agree. It's like there is so much that we we kind of don't realize we're missing out on. And what we could fill that time with is incredible. And the scary thing is that 300 feet is just the start. You know, if you have that much time and that much energy to spend, like think about, you know, over the years, that time with your kids, how much distance does that create? So the other the other kind of capacity that I would think about is if you scroll 300 feet of social media a day, what does that mean day after day after day, how much you're distancing yourself from the things that you really care about if that's what you're spending your time on? Yeah. And um, it can be it can be a slippery slope, you know, and like you said, for, for adults alike, for kids, I think that the future generation is is the ones really suffering because they're getting it on two ends. They're getting it on the end that, you know, they're having parents that aren't paying attention to them. But then at the same time, they're being distracted by all these other things and all these other people who are doing, you know, stuff that's seemingly better than better than them or better than their life, which is terrifying. I mean, that's that's so hard. Yeah. I always say I have a 13-year-old sister and I'm always like, I do not envy her right now having to grow up in a social media world because that wasn't something oh that we grew up with. Absolutely. Yeah. No, it's it's really, really terrifying. It's scary. And another thing that I loved about what you just said, Chris, is you talked about distance. Often when we talk about social media, we talk about time wasted. And so we quantify that in terms of time. But I love that you talk about the distance that it creates. And I think that's a powerful thought. Well, there, I think there's a physical separation that happens. Like yeah. we, we think it's just thumb scrolling, but the reality is you're becoming desensitized, you know? And, and, and I understand, like, uh, trust me, I'm the, I'll be the first person to admit, like, my the images I share from these far-reaching, vast places on the planet are beautiful and seemingly mind-numbing at times. Because when you're sitting, you know, at your house in Draper, Utah, and it's <laughs> snowing outside or whatever, it's like, yeah, of course, you know, everybody wants to be, you know, under some waterfall in Iceland or whatever. I think I think it's more about the message that's shared and and what the point of it is. You know, this is kind of why I aim to try and share a message that is deeper than just here is a pretty picture, acknowledge it. Like I want people to think and I want people to consider and I want people to to be uplifted. And I'd love actually people to put their phones down and go do something else. Yeah. I could not agree more. And I think that that is, it's so cool to hear that from your perspective as someone who has traveled the world. And like you said, people look at your pictures and they're like, man, what would I, what wouldn't I give to, to trade places with you? But I, I do think there, I, I often think also in relation to your photos, I'm like, what sacrifices is he having to make to get those photos, which I don't think people think about. I don't think anybody has any idea <laughs> to be honest. It's it, yeah, it can be, it can be a lot of sacrifices. Um, yeah. It, 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 and, but that's the beauty is like, I, I really, 
I really want people to know that they're sacrifices because that, that makes me happy. You know, like we said, I mean, this is really the, the main point talking point for my TED talk was that anything worth pursuing is going to require us to suffer just a little bit, you know, anything. And then that's just a, a universal truth, you know, that's been taught in so many different ways. Yeah. I want to come back to that idea of suffering in just a second. But before we move away from this topic of social media, I heard you say on another podcast that you have decided that Instagram cannot be the judge of your success, of your work, or your success as a human. And so I wondered, Chris, how do you measure your life? Clayton Christensen, shout out right there. Um, And how does the gospel aid you in keeping that in perspective? Oh man, that's a great question. And that's a, that's a heavy question too, because I, I would, I would venture to say that there are so many ways to measure success in our life. Right. You know, and, and I, and I don't think the, the way to measure success is like how many children did I bring into the world? I don't think that that's a way to measure success or how many covers of magazines have I shot or how many ad campaigns have I shot or how big is my home, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I think that the reality is that Am I happy and do I love myself first? Do I spread that love to others? To me, that is the measure of success. Yeah. Because, because there is no other way. Because here's the thing. I know people who go to church every single day and every, or every single Sunday and yada, yada. And they are unhappy people. And I know people who have a million kids and they are, <laughs> they are extremely unhappy people. I know people who, you know, in every walk of life, I know people who do what I do and they're still unhappy. And the, the truth of the matter is like, obviously loving my savior and loving and loving this gospel is, is critical, but you cannot do that until you love yourself. until you learn to love yourself. And I would say those go hand in hand, but I think that the, the greatest thing is like, if, if, you know, the, the measure of a man's success is his ability and for her, obviously this is universal is their ability to sort of give joy to others. That means that their cup is full and their cup floweth over. And so I aim to be that person. I aim to be somebody who, when they interact with me or experience something that I've created, they feel that joy because it came from a place of happiness. It came from the right place. And I think that that, that's really to me, the only way that I can measure success, I, I, I can get caught up in thinking about, I want to create images that are going to be around a lot longer than myself. And I want to create meaningful work that's just going to stand the test of time and, and yada, yada, yada. But, but the truth of the matter is like that, that's all kind of a byproduct of this first universal law, which is like, I have to love myself. And then I have to, to spread that love to other people. Absolutely. And, I know that seems kind of simple, but I feel like there is a lot there to unpack. For sure. And and that reminded me, Chris, of one of my favorite posts. So I'm going to read it really quick, if that's okay. You said, I would say that every worthwhile picture I have ever taken has been the byproduct of a good relationship or a friend who has shown me the way. Often I get asked how many countries I've been to and the answer is not many because I would rather go back to the same places over and over in order to foster those relationships and develop something deeper than just a few pretty photographs. I think the key to creating a meaningful body 
body of work is rooted in how much time you are willing to invest in a place without the camera. And I thought that was so beautiful and profound almost because here you are and, and you, what we see is just these pictures that are taken, but so much goes on behind the scenes to invest in people and places and to, to form relationships that make you welcome in those places. How do you invest in people and places without a camera, Chris? Well, I would say that that's a hard learned lesson to be honest, because when I was starting my career, I had to make a lot of sacrifices. I don't just mean like sacrifices of time or energy or whatever, but, but, um, sacrifices of friendship. Like, uh, I don't know if you ever heard the analogy of the four burners, but essentially it goes that if you have, well, this isn't, you know, this isn't for me. I've just read it and it's something that I've really applied to my life because it's really significant, but it's, um, you have four burners on a stove and you, you know, you want to, you want to be really, really successful in one of them, you're going to have to turn one of them off, right? Like, so you, you can only have, you know, work and family and friendship and like whatever, you know, whatever else health is, health is the other one, right? You're going to have to turn one of those off to be successful in your work. You're going to have to turn two of those off to be really successful. It's just the harsh reality of what I had to sacrifice when I started my career. Cause I, I got married at 21 and I, I started my career at 19 and I, I basically cut off all of my friendships and relationships other than my wife, because it was like family and work and health and friendship were not a part of it. And so tried in the later years of my life to rekindle a lot of these friendships and or invest in new ones. And when I mean invest, I mean actually give the time and the space for them to come to life. And I, through my travels, I've been able to meet a lot of amazing people. And just knowing that these are places that I, I not only love because they're beautiful, because I have a relationship there I care about. That's one of the reasons I try to go back. I go back to Iceland to see people that I really care about. I go back there to foster those relationships and, and fostering relationships means to, to ensure that those people who are your people, whoever those might be, are okay and taken care of and healthy and uplifted and what have you, you know? I mean, I think those are pretty general. Um, it's a pretty easy thing to comprehend, but ultimately it requires time and it requires sacrifice. And there was a point in my life where I wasn't willing to give that sacrifice and now how I am. And so I'm, I'm trying to do my part to make sure that I'm, I'm giving of myself. Yeah. So, yeah. I love that. And I I love a couple of things about that. One, I think we see how there are different seasons in life, that there are times when, you know, we may have to make those sacrifices and, and that then maybe in a later season, we have more to give. And I think that's important in being patient with ourselves and allowing ourselves to have different seasons. And then secondly, I also love that you recognized and were humble enough to learn as you as you went along. Well, it's a it's a it's a process, and this is the thing: is like we can't run before we can walk, right? And I I know full well that it takes time. It really does take time. It's it's a it's a learning process, 
and and I think that one of the things that has been really insightful for me is to, to pray and to fast as to how to be a good friend. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I like I I, I like I'm, I'm legitimately saying there are times in my life where I have not been there for people and I have not been a great friend. And so to to, to relearn that trait has been really important. You know, and and there's nothing wrong with that. I just I focused my attention on being a good boss and being a good, being a good entrepreneur and being a good husband. And, you know, um, I traded those things. So, so trying to pray to learn, how can I be a good friend to people? And I, and I, that's something I've really had to try and learn and think about. Yeah. What do you feel like you've learned from that, Chris? I think that I've learned a greater concept of bearing each other's burdens. And this is a really funny story, but not, it's not a funny story, but ultimately (laughs) the, the point is, is that, like just two weeks ago uh, or three weeks ago, I, I gave a talk in church and the, the, the talk was to make weak things become strong, right? It was that scripture um, that talks all about it. I'm, I'm really bad at remembering scriptures, so I'm not going to try and quote it. People but, know but what scripture you're talking about. Don't worry. Oh, yeah. You, yeah. Everybody knows that scripture. <laughs> you know that scripture. So anyway, my, the, the, the sort of the, the, the point of my talk was that in my life, I've had to realize one really, really important lesson is that if you withhold the opportunity to let somebody else grow by not asking for help, you are inhibiting their growth. And what I mean by that is that in order to be a good friend, you have to ask for friendship. You have to ask for something from them. And I've always been one of those people it's like, I can do it better on my own. I can do it myself, yada, yada, yada. And it wasn't until I did this really, one of the big lessons, it wasn't, it wasn't in this moment, but it was, this was just a big eye-opening experience for me. It was like, I did this huge bike ride around ice and I rode like 850 miles. Okay. And, we need to, we need to pause you right here. I was hoping you would bring this up just so that I can yeah. brag to listeners. Okay. 844 miles in 52 yeah. hours, 36 minutes, and 19 seconds, which was a record. So, Chris Burkard, yeah. everyone, I feel like we should all clap right now. Yeah. <laughs> I hope nobody's clapping. or I hope everybody's just, like, grabbing their, their bottoms and being like, ow, that would probably really hurt the sort of bike seat for that long. I won't lie. Um, I did think about that, but I still hope everyone's clapping at yeah. home by themselves. Well, we, and we can, uh, we can talk about that experience, too, but one of the things that's was really crazy is that during our experience, I had to, um, I had to ask for SAG support. So I had to ask somebody to come and, and support me. And the crazy thing is when I did all this training, all these training rides, like I didn't really have any support at all. I would just go out solo and ride my bike. And I've always been one of those people who like the moment that I found kind of, you know, you know, sports that weren't team sports, I started doing those right after high school. And I just, I, I've tried to kind of never, I never want to burden somebody. Mm. Right. And, and I, and I think that's a, that's a guilt thing that I've carried on my back for a long time. I've never wanted to burden somebody. I've always wanted to do it myself. and I've always wanted to just take the load on. And, and what I've realized about this concept of friendship is that, you know, one of the ways we draw closer to others is by asking them to bear our burdens you know, and not just trying to bear theirs, but at the same time, giving them growth opportunities. And so that's one of the things when you ask, like, what have you learned? I was like, this is what I've learned. That 
you want to draw close to somebody or or you want to see kind of what that friendship is made of or or how strong it is like ask them to bear a burden with you and that can mean anything that could mean something physical like hey i need you to help me do this thing or that could mean something spiritual like hey i'm really struggling with this can you can you advise me on this or that can mean a, a myriad of other things but I would say that when, and this is really, it's funny because it all connects life. Everything connects life. But one of the really interesting things when I, when I prepared for my Ted talk was I studied the work of this psychologist named Brock Bastion. And he was a um, psychologist based in Australia who studied pain. And one of the things that he had come to the conclusion of is that groups of people who experience a traumatic or painful experience are closer or more connected after the experience. And that doesn't necessarily mean it needs to be a bad experience. It could be climbing a mountain. It could be, you know, when, when the wind is cold or whatever. I mean, these don't need to be like, you know, they experienced a death together. But it, but ultimately what it is is like when people have experienced something together and it, it in some way incited feelings of, of hardship, they draw closer. And I've just always thought, wow, that's such a beautiful thing. It's really incredible that Heavenly Father has like built – our relationships that way that like the, the people that we struggle with, we connect with on a deeper level. Like what a, what an absolute incredible gift to give us, you know? I so, agree. I don't know. That's beautiful. And I, I kept thinking as you were talking about different experiences that I've had with people that were hard and it's through those things not only that you grow as a person, but you grow closer to the people around you. So I love that you brought that up. Another question in relation to your bike race is what did you learn <laughs> about enduring? Oh my gosh. Well, that bike race was all about endurance. Um, you know, it's, it's a funny thing because I went through everything you could imagine, every sort of emotion process, mental process. Like I, 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 uh, I cried on the bike. I fully, I fully, you know, went to a, a place of like getting angry to try to get through it. I, you know, I, every kind of headspace I could ever, I could, you could imagine. Cause I was, I was on the bike nonstop without sleep. And, um, the, the craziest thing was, was that at about 48 hours, you know, I had this friend who, I, I really wanted him to come and support me. It would, it would have meant a lot to me. And I, and I, I didn't ask him to do that. Cause I kind of felt again, like I was gonna, I didn't want to burden that person. And they were like, I'll be there. I'll be there. And I was like, okay, okay, okay. And I kind of put it in the back of my mind. And in that ninth hour, you know, that 48 hour mark, he showed up and it was just like, it was such a gift. Wow. Just to, just to be there. Like I, I saw them and luckily it was raining. So they couldn't tell that I was crying. And I was just like, <laughs> that was such a gift. Your support. I've never just had seen somebody and been like presence means so much to me. You yeah. just being there means so much to me. And maybe it's because you're in this extremely fragile state. Um, and, uh, and that's, you know, it, it makes you <laughs> see things very differently. Um, but one of the one of the considerations I would have is that I learned a lot about the experience of enduring through the process of training. And the reality is that when I trained, I mean, how do you train to ride 846 miles? You, you don't. You don't ride that many miles. 
miles, you ride 200 miles and 300 miles. But what else I found was that it wasn't so much about the length of riding. It wasn't about the strength, right? Like I'm not a crazy physically fit person, you know, like I could stand to lose quite a few pounds and whatnot. But the reality is what I did was I trained everything else. I trained my mind. I trained, I, I would go out and ride when I was, when I was feeling ill. I would go out and ride after I'd eaten a big meal and felt really like bloated, you know, or whatever. I'd go out and ride when it was raining. I'd go out and ride at midnight. I'd, I'd go to church, you know, spend time with my family. And then when it struck midnight, I would go out and ride because I wanted to feel the mental stress mm. of all of the situations that I knew were going to come up. And that's, I guess, to relate that to kind of a spiritual sense is that, I, you know, I think that this concept of enduring or enduring to the end it really comes down to our ability to kind of um, to kind of hopefully not be surprised when those things happen. When we're faced with a situation where all of a sudden somebody's offering us this, or you're in an uncomfortable situation with a group of peers and they want you to do it, like like it seems so easy, but the reality is like when you run through those things in your head and you plan them out in your head and you even like prepare for them it becomes different like the moment that i started hallucinating on the bike i was like well i'm hallucinating now you know like hmm. uh, you know it wasn't like a shock you know i, I understood and knew what to do because i had been there before such a good analogy i love that so much all right so before we wrap up before we get to our last question i want to try something that i haven't tried before and it's mostly okay. just because i feel like your instagram account is so full of like one liners and sometimes when i see them i'm like i wonder what was like going on in his mind behind this great one liner so if it's okay with you i'd like to like quickly unpack just a few of these is that okay yeah yeah, yeah. I mean, nothing will be quick. I mean, as you can tell, I kind of like blab on. And hey, we'll on, listen but, to yeah, you I'm as long to. as you want to talk. Um, okay. But first, you mentioned this earlier suffering. You posted on Instagram one day about elective suffering. What do you mean by that? Well, I think that elective suffering is an interesting thing because I think when it comes to like the things that I like to do or the things that I enjoy, nobody's ever you know, putting a gun to your head being like, you have to do this. You have to, you have to shoot photos in this freezing cold weather. You have to do, you know, it's, it's, it's all elective. And I think it's important to keep that in mind. Like you're out there, you're backpacking in the wilderness, you're, it, it's long, hard days, et cetera, et cetera, or whatever that might be like that. That's totally on you, completely on you. So keep in mind, I think that like to not have a smile on your face whilst you, you know, whilst you're pursuing this thing that you, you want to do is, is very much a shame. And I would just, uh, I would just really like urge people, um, to understand like the difference between people who are truly, really suffering, going through something that they cannot control. And then the situations where people can control it and are actually choosing to put themselves in that situation because what you can easily do is just be like, is just laugh and be like, you know what? I put myself here. How silly is this? Like, what a, what a joke, you know? And, and that's honestly like my, like if there's one thing that I hope people catch me in the process of doing, right. Um, it's, it's 
smiling or laughing through some hardship because to me like that's really the only thing you can do like it's kind of ridiculous when you when you think about the fact that like so much of the situations we put ourselves in we we put ourselves in and although they're hard there there still are there still are decisions and and what a gift to be able to make that choice yeah you know what i mean like absolutely that is it that's the gift right there yeah. And we'll link your TED Talk in our show notes. So oh, you dive cool. a little bit more into that topic there. But I think one thing I just thought about as you were talking, I was like, some people might hear this and they're like, well, you're this hotshot photographer who travels the world. But knowing a little bit about you, Chris, you your father passed away when your mom was pregnant with you and you were raised by yeah. a single mom. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. My mom is my, my absolute hero. And, um, you know, I was, we were in a really low income home growing up and, and I didn't have the means of going to travel anywhere. Every single thing that I've, I've made for my career has been self-made. And, you know, I didn't own a passport until I actually started traveling with a camera. Like there wasn't any other option there. So I guess the reality is I, you know, with that, I don't have a ton of sympathy for, for really anyone out there that, that feels like they, they can't do it or they can't make something out of nothing. Like I quit my job and I quit school at 19. I have, you know, just, just over a high school education and I, I created this career for myself and it was all built upon the fact that like, to be totally transparent, like I feel indebted to my mom for having sacrificed everything for me. She gave up, you know, her, her high school experience for me. I mean, truthfully, like she got pregnant at 16, had me at 17. Like you can imagine what that does to a girl yeah, um, that age. And so I feel, I feel like there are no excuses and there is no, nothing else I can really, I could really say, I, mean, I just want to make the most of my time here and my experience and make her proud. Thank you. That's beautiful. And I, say shout out to your mom <laughs> um, yeah, because I mean, what a out, woman, you any, know, shout out to any moms, you know, out there and they're all amazing. Yeah. Okay. Next phrase. I, and this is one that's going to be recognizable to members of the church as they listen to this, but I noticed on one of your pictures, you said a marvelous work and wonder. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, it's, it's just a phrase that I've always loved. And I think that the funny thing is that a lot of things that I try to say, like, I know, um, I know that there are people who will get it and I know there are people who will understand it. Right. And, and a part of me loves to associate these sort of things we've heard in church <laughs> for our, our whole lives growing up or things we've heard spiritually, whether it's scripturally or whatever, and apply them to photography or to photographs or to wild places in general, because I think that it takes on new meaning, you know, like a marvelous work and a wonder is a book, you know, obviously. And it's, it's a, it's been a, it's a church book title. It's also a phrase you hear in church a lot, but it could also be the title of a song or the title of an incredible photography book that has nothing to do with church. Right. And I think that that's the mentality I want people to understand is like, how cool is that? That there's literally all these different interpretations that still mean the same thing. Yeah. 
So cool. Last one. I loved in one of your pictures, you said it will make you a believer. What was going through your head when you posted that? Yeah. You know, I think that ultimately I I can't remember what the image is of exactly, but I am envisioned that the photograph was just something really, you know, compelling and beautiful. Yeah. Breathtaking out in nature. And I think that that the truth of the matter is, is that any place like that where you subject yourself to that type of experience will change who you are as a person. Yeah. And with that, it'll, it'll change your beliefs, you know, um, at times. I mean, that's, I think one of the reasons why we travel is to become someone different, someone better, someone whatever. And, and to, to be totally truthful, um, I've given quite a few talks on this, that process of becoming someone better, someone different, it starts before you leave your front door. I mean, it starts, it starts like before you leave your house. It's such a, it's such an intimate thing. And and, and I've learned the hard way that this idea that we're going to go somewhere and come back better is totally BS. Like it's not true. Hmm. Like that, that is a process that that refining process is something that, that happens slowly over time. And it usually happens by the amount of respect that you give a place. And so I just ultimately think like, you know, you spend enough time in these places, you obviously have a great appreciation for them. And I think that it can enhance your belief system, whatever that was, whatever that is, whether it is religious or not, I'm not, I'm not at all um, insinuating that it needs to be religious. And that's just the beauty is like, is like whatever you believe that experience can be enhanced by being out in nature. That's kind of what it is. Nature is a magnifying glass to the things that we care about. Yeah. Thank you. Chris, it has been a delight to talk with you. Before we wrap up or as we wrap up, I just have one last question for you. And that is, what does it mean to you to be all in the gospel of Jesus Christ? Um, I think, I think when, I, when I think about term being all in, I think what it means is that I'm, I'm not afraid I'm not afraid to sacrifice something. And I've always loved the story in the Book of Mormon about, you know, what was it, King Lamoni or <laughs> totally blanking on his name. And it's it's just it's basically getting to the to the root of like what are we willing to give up to know to know God? Like what are we willing to give up? What are we willing to sacrifice? And for me, I guess what I would what I would like to think about is that there's nothing I wouldn't sacrifice. There's nothing I wouldn't give up. And um, I just, I hope that through the actions of being able to, to share the experiences that I've been blessed with and to be honest and open and transparent with others, that they can realize that um, these experiences are available to them. And, um, and, I, and I think that, you know, that to me, that's really a calling that I feel like I've tried to take on is, is celebrating that beauty and, and sharing that beauty with the world. And I hope that, nothing ever gets in my way. No, no amount of success will ever get in the way of me being willing to give up, give up all of it or to know my savior. Yeah. Thank you so much, Chris. I appreciate appreciate it more than, you know, thank you. 
A huge thank you to Chris Burkard for coming on this week's show. If you want to learn more about Chris, you can visit his Instagram account, which is just Chris Burkard, or we've included a bunch of links to his stuff, including his Instagram account and his TED Talk in our show notes, which are available at www.ldsliving.com slash all in. Again, that's www.ldsliving.com slash all in. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode, and we hope you have a wonderful week.